0: Run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over
1: My name is registered in heaven I believe in signs and wonders Grace rewrote my story. I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous. I testify. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. in water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father. Our God will finish what He started. Our God, our God will finish what He started.
0: Good morning, Kensington. We're so glad that you're here. I just want to welcome you and say thank you for coming. Before we move forward, let's take a look at this video.
2: It is God's nature to bless, and the blessings aren't meant to stop with us, but to spill out to
3: those around us. At Kensington, we are passionate about being a blessing to others with the resources that God has given us as a church. We're grateful for the way your financial partnership allows us to make an incredible impact within our walls, in our communities, and around the world. Because of your open-handedness, we can continue this mission to see everyone transformed and mobilized by Jesus. So let's look at the past year together, what a year it's been, and see how God has been at work in and through Kensington. Baptism is our outward response
2: to the internal work God is doing in the heart. And it's an action that reflects one of Kensington's core values in Christ. We are loved by Jesus Christ. We find our identity in him and we are powerless without him. Last August, 234 people took the plunge at our church-wide Stony Creek baptisms and publicly declared themselves followers of Christ. It wasn't until I really
4: repaired that relationship and trusted Him um, and brought Christ
3: into my life fully. It was just, it was a long time coming. Oh, (laughs) sure. And they're happy tears. (laughs) Our holiday services brought the good news of Jesus to thousands again this year. During our Christmas services, over 47,000 people came to celebrate the birth of Jesus and his perfect timing in human history. And although these were our first online only Good Friday and Easter services, they were a beautiful moving experience watched by over 60,000 people.
2: Another Kensington value we hold dear is as a family. This means we lock arms in community to accomplish God's mission together. We weren't meant to do it alone. That's why we're grateful to offer small groups, mid-sized groups for men and women and courses like Alpha, Bible Basics, and Financial Peace University. And 5,000 of you did just that. Nearly all of our groups continued to meet virtually during the pandemic, which just shows how committed you are to live in community.
0: Our retreats were another way we build community together and take some time away to intentionally connect with God and one another. More than 2,000 people participated in one of our retreats like Rock Your Family, Man Up, our Women's Retreat, Club 45 for fourth and fifth graders, the Wild Retreat for middle school and high school students, and 1829's Rise Retreat. I've never imagined something like this. Um, The way God has walked me this weekend and touched me this weekend, to open my arms up to Him, to accept Him, He has been awesome.
2: When Kensington made the decision back in March to stop in-person services due to the pandemic, we worked together to reimagine services in a completely new form. This value held us close despite the physical distancing. We came together as one church and worshiped as a family. We also had a chance to hear from teaching pastors from all of our campuses, which was a great way to learn from many different people in our time of quarantine. Our
3: students stayed connected too. They had weekly lessons, Zoom chats, family devotionals, and even drive-by visits. And we celebrated alongside the many graduates in our community who finished strong, like high school graduate Hannah Cheshire, who shared this moving original song.
5: You promised that you would. Your plans for me are good.
0: Another value we embrace is from brokenness, which means that we admit we don't have it all together and we don't pretend to be perfect. In fact, We reveal our weaknesses to point to the power of God. One of the ways we care for one another in hard seasons is through our care initiatives, like Celebrate Recovery, marriage mentoring, and grief and divorce workshops. This year, we were able to come alongside more than 1,000 people in our community in need of support.
2: Our weekend services are also a place where we invite people to bring their whole selves to Jesus. Two series over the past year were especially impactful in our community. Mastermind gave us insight into mental health and how we as a church need to embrace transparency and shame-free support.
0: I still struggle with it occasionally, but it's a lot easier now. It's a lot easier to deal with now that I have a good support system, I have healthy coping mechanisms, and
1: I know that I have God on my side.
2: In Sermons from the Seats, we flipped the stage and had four weeks of powerful Jesus stories from people in our community.
6: I don't pray to try and change God's mind. I pray that God will help me sort of alter mine to fit His.
3: There is one Kensington value that we pursue relentlessly. It's at the core of our mission and all that we do, for the one. That means we will leave what is comfortable to pursue those who are far from God. So we rally together to love our neighbors in a big way, whether they are around the corner or across the globe. We see
2: our 11 global partners as neighbors and show them love by sharing resources and building relationships. Through these relationships with local, on-the-ground leaders and your partnership, this is what happened in the past year. Nearly 1,500 churches started, over 65,000 Bibles distributed, 370,000 people evangelized to, over 47,000 decisions made to follow Jesus, 3,700 baptisms, over 13,000 people trained, 20,622 girls counseled to, and 1,035
3: girls rescued. This is over 500,000 people, each with their own story and who God knows by name.
0: More than 300 people from the Kensington community left the comfort of their homes to visit and support the work happening in Kenya, Nepal, India, the Dominican Republic, Israel, and more through short-term
7: trips. And I just look at my experience and think of what a gift I received
6: by following that nudge and what God gave me through the experience.
2: Hope Water Project is on a mission to bring clean, life-giving water to the Pokot people of Western Kenya. And they do it by walking, running, cycling, and volunteering at events like last fall's Detroit Marathon, this summer's 5K, and the Awesome Marker 100. Even when these races are canceled or become virtual, the Hope Water Team still gets it done. Like our two Traverse City ladies who ran self-appointed half marathons and raised over $1,300. Altogether, over $220,000 has been raised for clean drinking water for our
3: neighbors in Kenya. This year marked the 10th anniversary of our sponsorship program, No Child, whose mission is to see that no child goes without food, Healthcare and education and the good news of Jesus. Throughout the last decade, with your support, we've been able to transform the lives of over 4,000 children in Kenya, India, and now Nepal. Kensington's own health bank and campus care providers also stepped up to meet the needs in our own community during the pandemic. Hundreds of Kensington families received encouragement and prayer, along with grocery gift cards and help with their electric bills another way we're reaching out to bless others is through our school
2: partners program we partner with 10 local schools in our neighborhoods close to our campuses which allows us to connect with over 600 staff members and 4500 elementary
0: students school partners is always finding new ways to encourage staff provide for students and connect with families kensington attenders from across all of our campuses provided school supply items for kids in need and packed and delivered 2,700 Thanksgiving baskets to partner school families, and that impacted 8,500 people.
2: Our Move Out Network has been one of the greatest tools in organizing, connecting, and mobilizing people to make an impact locally. This was especially true during the pandemic.
0: During these uncertain months, Kensington people gave to the homeless, delivered food boxes, sewed masks for frontline workers, helped restoration efforts in Midland, planted community gardens, tutored students over Zoom, and so much more.
3: Our dream with our Move Out strategy is to equip and mobilize people to really love their neighbors and to be the church beyond our four walls. As a church, we partnered financially with those in our Move Out Network, like FLAG, Detroit's frontline appreciation group, My COVID Response, and House of Hope, which delivered 1,600 lunches to kids in two mobile home communities not receiving school meals. Our
4: community feels seen, heard, and loved, and I know this, because the source of I want to help has shifted and is now coming from inside our own community. We are grateful that you
2: are here on mission with us. We're thankful for your presence in our community, for your story, and for investing your time, talents, and financial resources. The
3: challenges this year has brought aren't things we'll quickly forget, but this year has also given us opportunities to be the church in new and meaningful ways
0: we were reminded that God's church is not a structure where we gather, but it's us, keeping in step with Jesus as he leads us in our homes, neighborhoods, communities, and around the world.
7: Wow, what a humbling picture of all the incredible ways that God has chosen to use this community to reach the one over this past year. Even during these past few months that have been so challenging and so uncertain, God continues to reveal his faithfulness to us over and over again as we step out in faith with him. So here's what continues to be affirmed in me as I watch our community over the past two decades. God uses his people to bring his hope and love to this hurting and needing world. And as I reflect on the ways that God is using our community, it makes me both eager and incredibly excited about the future. I'm deeply honored to have the opportunity to step into this new role as interim executive pastor of Kensington during this next season and to help guide us into a future, a crazy future. You know, I met a friend recently and we sat down and had something to eat and we read Isaiah 41:10 together, which was very encouraging to me. Listen to what God says to his people. He says, so do not fear. That whole concept of do not fear exists all throughout. There's a theme that's all throughout scripture. It says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I truly believe that God is with us. And because of that, I believe that the best is yet to come. Because it is with the greatest challenges like we've seen over these past few months in this pandemic, that God's church has the greatest opportunity to bring light, faith, hope, and love to this region, to our state, to this country, and to the entire world. God's church is actually built for times just like these. And I believe that Kensington in particular is really built for these times since we've always had this DNA to move out into the world and make a difference in Jesus' name. So I wanna say this to you, thank you so much for your partnership and thank you for being on this journey together. What a wild and exciting ride it is following Jesus. And we are so grateful to be on this mission with all of you.
6: So what do you think, that's worth celebrating, huh? (laughs) Hey, I just wanna say good morning. Who's excited to be here in the room? Anybody? I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm very thankful for everyone here in in the room live and then also for those online. Thank you for uh, just tuning in and uh, being a part of Uh, our services today. I want to champion what Danny talked about and everybody else talked about not only all the great things that has happened throughout the course of the year but then also to thank you for being a partner uh, with us and then to encourage you to go online because our annual vote this year is all virtual so there are no you know annual reports or anything passed out physically Uh, but if you go online at kensingtonchurch.org slash annual report you could actually look at our proposed budget because our fiscal year starts technically july 1st Uh, because of covid we're a little bit behind on that but the but the annual vote for the new budget is going to take place august 30th so we want to encourage you to show up in person or on, or you know, or come with us online. But either way, you're going to vote online. And then also, you have uh, there's a voting for the elders. I'm sure a lot of you don't know the elders' names. Uh, there's a place to get to know them. And so it's uh, KensingtonChurch.org/elders. And there's a picture and a little bit of a bio on them. And you can uh, kind of re-vote them in if you so choose to do so as well. So all that will take place uh, on August 30th. And uh, whether you vote for the budget or, you know, whatever, it's, whatever you're going to do, if you have any questions about it, whether you have concerns, uh, you can always feel free to email. There's a place to email or contact us. We are an open book when it comes to our finances, our budget, and our elders. So we encourage you to ask any question that you want to, and we'll be more than happy to get back with you in these next few weeks before the vote. Okay, real real quick, I wanted to answer, uh, or not not answer, I wanted to promote uh, one more event, and that is we are having our very first, since COVID started, midweek at Clinton Township right here this Wednesday. We want you to be excited about it. Uh, the theme is called Make Your Move, and it's actually a series that we're launching on our midweeks. And it's got a Monopoly theme, which I'm super excited about. And so we want you to be here. And so I will be speaking uh, this Wednesday right here. We'll be worshiping. Aaron and the team will be here. And, and by the way, you do have to get tickets. But if you don't have tickets or if you can't find them online, we'll have a sign in at the hub. <clears throat> but if you go to mid, uh, excuse me, kensingtonchurch.org slash midweek. I think we already have 100 or so tickets reserved. And so if you want to uh, get those for the midweek, uh, again, it's just because we want to have a record of your visit. If you miss that, we'll, we'll have it when you come in as well, okay? But I hope you consider being here. Everything will be, you know, mask-friendly, social-distanced. And if you've never been to a weekend service, we encourage you to come out for a midweek because we would love to have a great time together, all right? Well, I just want to go ahead and welcome you to our very first week of a brand-new series that we're starting today called Pivot. And the idea of the series came out of uh, you know reacting positively to interruptions in our lives. So instead of talking about all the darkness and the uncertainty, of, you know we've definitely done our share of covering that, we thought let's create a series that talks about what is the internal work that God wants us to do when interruptions come our way. Because because again we pivot or we adjust, and all of a sudden we find ourselves looking at things a little different, doing things a little different, and how can we react to that in a positive? way and what does that mean for us, uh, the biblical principles. And so that's what we're tackling today. And what better way to talk about change and reacting to it than a little bit of Fleetwood Mac as we talk about um, changing? So listen to landslide as we move on with our service. Great job, guys, great job. Um, Before we dive into the message today, we want to just say to those in the room and those online that we're taking just a moment to receive our offering, and that's going to be virtually online. If you came prepared to give a physical donation, whether by check or cash, there's some buckets uh, uh, at the doors you can give on your way out, or even in the auditorium, you can take out your phones and text the word Kensington to 77977. Uh, Follow the prompts. Give on our app. Uh, App is a great way to give. Uh, Also, of course, on our website, all that is secure and we're always careful to say thank you for doing that and for partnering with us as well. Uh, So thanks for considering partnering um, just with everything that God is doing here in our midst. So as we dive into the message today, the talk today is called What Just Happened? And so uh, I wanted to go ahead and ask you a question. How many of you have seen this t-shirt for sale somewhere on social media? Anybody? Uh, 2020, very bad, Would not recommend, okay? You know what's so funny about that is that there are so many things happening on a macro level that supports that rating, you know, anywhere from the death rate to the virus, to the economy, you know, and certainly we can look and say, yep, would not recommend 2020. Uh, But there are other things, quite honestly, on a micro level that affect just our personal lives. Uh, and, and, And there's a list that just goes on and on, you know, just things that have been affected. I mean, the way that we, you know, eat at restaurants, a lot of our jobs are affected, the places that we work out, you know, the, the, the relationships, the way we do meetings, I mean, it just goes on and on. Travel plans, vacation plans, big events. I mean, our lives have been interrupted, haven't they? And so it, it's another reason to give it that sort of rating. And today we're talking about interruptions. We're talking about how interruptions can come at any time, anywhere, and they're usually uncomfortable and certainly they're unplanned. In fact, a good way to define an interruption is something that you didn't plan for that interrupts your plans, right? Isn't that true? Something you didn't plan for that interrupts your plans is interruption. And they could happen anywhere and they're all, almost always uncomfortable. So I'd like you to do me a favor. We, we shot a video of a, of a story from a person right here from our Clinton Township campus. And I'm telling you that Kensington has done a lot of powerful stories in the past, but I don't think I've ever seen one as powerful as this. So sit back and watch this. Are you feeling uncomfortable yet? That was pl- that was a planned interruption. We did that on purpose. Yep, just to prove to you that how awkward it could be. So if you're especially in the room, you're just laughing because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I've never seen Kensington drop the ball like that before. Uh, So it was awkward. It was planned only to prove one point, and that is anywhere, anytime, an interruption could come and they're unwanted, and a lot of times uh, they're uncomfortable. So as much as you and I try to be organized, as much as we try to control our lives and we have the illusion of control, as much as we try to be a person who you know plans things out, Uh, interruptions are something that not only are inevitable, but uh, they could actually cause us to pivot. And to pivot means that sometimes we need to adjust the way we do things. We need to actually adjust slightly, which would change our course and sometimes even change our perspective. And so the question is, how can I pivot in a really healthy way? Now, it reminds me of a story that I read years ago in a book called The Eye of the Storm by Max Locato. I'd love to read for you just an excerpt from this story. Uh, it's, It's about Chippy the parakeet. So it reads this way. Chippy never saw it coming. One second he was peacefully perched in his cage, sending a song into the air, and the next second he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. His problem began when his owner decided to clean his cage with a vacuum cleaner. She had stuck the nozzle in to suck up the seeds and the feathers at the bottom of the cage when the nearby telephone rang. Instinctively, she turned to pick it up, and she had barely said hello when vroom, Chippy got sucked in. She gasped. She dropped the phone, and she switched off the vacuum, and with her, mouth, with her heart in her mouth, she unzipped the bag, and there was Chippy, alive but stunned and covered with gray dust. She grabbed him and rushed him to the bathtub, turned on the faucet, full blast, and held Chippy under the torrent of ice-cold water, power washing him clean. Then it dawned on her that Chippy was soaking wet and shivering. And so she did what any compassionate pet owner would do. She snatched up the hair dryer and blasted him with hot air. Did Chippy survive? Yes. But he doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares a lot. So the question is, how many of us in 2020 feel like chippy, right? I mean, we all do, don't we? We've just been kind of like, you know, sucked in, banged around, and all of a sudden we find ourselves just sitting there, not singing anymore, and, and uh, just staring a lot. And I know that it certainly feels that way. So before we can talk about interruptions, before we can talk about how they apply to our faith, how they apply to our daily lives, I think it's important to get a different perspective on interruptions. It's important to set the table, so to speak. And I believe that the book of James gives us at least two things that we need to understand about interruptions before we can actually talk about interruptions. So here's, here's, the, here's the two things. Number one is that as we are supposed to, we were being told by the Bible to expect interruptions. Look at James chapter one, verse number two. James is writing to the church, so he uses the word brothers and sisters. He said, when troubles of any kind come your way, not if, but when they do, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And when is a really powerful word because what it's telling you is that you're going to you're going to have interruptions in your life. You're going to have trials, you're going to have tribulations, you're going to have, you know, trials of many kinds the scripture says. And when they come, then the perspective is consider it an opportunity for great joy. So I think that a lot of us are living in a phase right now in our lives where we're saying to ourselves, When can I go back to normal? And instead of having the, when can I just go back to normal kind of attitude, uh, maybe it's in a really positive way. Maybe we can start to focus on, God, how would you like me and how should I learn to pivot, to adjust? And and in this new reality of of regardless of how long it lasts, I definitely want to move forward in in adjusting to a new, new way of things with the right kind of attitude. And then it then it goes on, and not only does it tell us to expect interruptions, but it also tells us to embrace interruptions, because here's what it says. In verse number three, it says, for you know, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, I highlighted the word know because it's important to understand. In the Greek, I think I'm pronouncing this correctly, but it's konosko, which is a very specific word for the word "no." It means to know by experience. In other words, it's the difference between giving advice to uh, some, you know, young teenager who doesn't really know much or to look at a veteran seasoned person in life and to talk about a subject and they're nodding their head because they have lived life long enough to understand And that's what James is talking about. He says, for you already know, brothers and sisters, what it's like to go through trials. And then he says, if you were to back up to the previous verse of, it's an opportunity for great joy. Do you know what in the Greek those words specifically mean? Great joy in the Greek is kahara, which means a deeply seated joy rooted in faith. In other words, it's not happiness, It's not consider it an opportunity to be happy when something comes your way that you don't want. It is actually to experience a deep-seated joy rooted in faith, very different. And so James is telling us expect interruptions and then embrace interruptions because they will produce something good and consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, I want you to know that I was thinking about, you know, giving an example of an interruption that happened to me recently. <clears throat> and a couple of weeks ago, I was down in Florida, and I actually ran into and was in conversation with a person who actually worked for and worked with Marvel movies, the, the, the industry. And as you may know, that the highly anticipated Black Widow movie is coming out. And they, they were explaining to me how um, actually there's a lot of, there was a lot of trouble with some last-minute editing on the cutting room floor. And they were actually looking for uh, and scrambling for stunt doubles to actually stand in for Scarlett Johansson uh, just because you know they, they were wanting to do some last minute edits. So from that conversation, understanding that they needed help, uh, I'm going to show you a real quick clip that actually I got from him uh, after, the, you know, after everything just happened between us and I'll let the clip stand for itself. But I want you to know it's a very quick clip because you know, we don't want to re- reveal too much about the movie. So from my conversation with that guy, here's what took place. Watch this. I'm going secure Yeah. So I, I don't know if anybody's going to know, could tell the difference that I'll be in the costume, but I just felt like I had to help the guy out. So it was actually a really cool thing for us. Um, actually that's not funny at all, right? It's a, it's kind of weird and scarring, isn't it? You're like, I'm scarred. My eyes cannot unsee that. That's kind of the way I feel too, which is why I showed it. So we're having a little bit of fun with the video today. However, I do want to, uh, take the scripture today and observe and draw from it at least three observations that I believe have to do with our faith and then also, of course, how it plays out in our daily lives when it comes to these interruptions that we're supposed to expect and then also embrace. Here's the first one. The first one is this, that interruptions are also an invitation to trust Him, invitations to trust God. Don't believe the myth that when a person chooses to follow Christ that God will make our lives trouble-free. Sometimes interruptions are very subtle and they're hard to recognize. So let me give you a real example that is true. I told this story about seven years ago. My guess is most of you don't know this or... Maybe even remember it, but it's such a great, vivid memory for me. About seven or eight years ago, maybe maybe nine or so, I was invited to speak at a chapel for the Cleveland Browns, uh, and so I spoke to the Browns team. I got two free tickets, and my family was going to drive up, because we grew up in Youngstown, Ohio, as Cleveland Browns being our favorite team, and so they were going to drive up and meet me at Ford Field, but I actually had to preach that day, and after the last service, I was going to grab my tickets and run down to Ford Field and meet them in the stands, so um, what, that's exactly what I did. So the, the church services end, I grabbed my tickets, put them in my Bible, uh, jump in my truck and go down there. Now I was already late because of church going later and, and I was already into the first quarter. So I was wanting to find a parking space but I, I don't know if you know this or not but there's like this really perfect parking lot that you pay for. It's not the deck, excuse me, but it's a parking lot that's right across from Comerica, right next to Ford Field, and I'm like, I'll park there because I got to run in. So I pulled up, and it was $45 to park there. And I'm like, I am so cheap, there's no way I'm doing $45. Besides, I didn't have that much cash on me. So I decided to drive around. I'm finding all sorts of, you know, like $20 or $15. And I'm like, okay, all right. So I just kept on driving around, and I'm taking all these rights and lefts. And finally, I saw a parking lot that said $5 parking. And I thought, oh, yes, that is me. And so I pulled in, and it was like gravel, nasty alley. But there was a guy in a booth. And I'm like, hey, guy in a booth. So I pulled in, and I parked my truck. And I'm like, here's your $5, to which it only left me like 10 left. I think I only brought like 15 cash. And then I looked on my phone, because I didn't know where I was. And I, and I punched in Ford Field, and it said 1.1 miles away. And the worst part is I was on a cast. I was on an air cast. So I was limping. And I'm like, okay, so I'm walking 1.1 miles. I stopped at this, rest, uh, this uh, bar slash restaurant to use the restroom. Uh, and then finally, I hobbled my way there. I saw somebody from Kensington getting in line. or were like, hey, we're late. Yeah, we sure are. We get up to the front, and I realized I misplaced my tickets. I don't have them with me. So I was really embarrassed. I'm like, you go in. I'll do the walk of shame. And so I walked backwards. And by the way, side note, I actually walked past the parking lot that I passed up and they had lowered it down to $15, the $45 one, to which I really couldn't do anyway because now I only had 10. Very upset. So I had to hobble all the way back and retrace my steps. Took me forever. And I'm like entering into like, you know, second quarter halftime at this point. And I check the restaurant. I check the bathroom. I go all the way back to my car, open the truck, look in my Bible, no tickets to be found. And I'm just extremely depressed texting my family, I'll be I'll be joining you, where are you? Then all of a sudden the man in the truck comes up to me and he says, hey, I noticed there was a Bible on your dashboard. And he goes, you know, let me ask you about that. And I started talking and then eventually I told him that I was the lead pastor of Kensington's Clinton Township Campus. And then from that point on, I was pastor. Pastor this, pastor that. And he goes, pastor, let me ask you a question. Do you guys put scripture on the screen? And then and then I'm, I'm sitting here talking with him and I says, I'm just here to look for my tickets. And he goes, oh, about that. Hey, hang on, runs over to this Uh, his shack and he comes back and he goes I knew that that there was a reason why I was saving these he goes it was right by your truck and I saw your Bible and he goes normally I would just scalp them (laughs) he goes but I saw your Bible and I thought you're going to come back and you're you're a good guy and so I'll give you these tickets and he goes well let me ask you a question about uh, Bible verses on your screen versus people carrying the Bible and he's asking me questions about my church while holding the tickets hostage and I'm wanting to grab the tickets but I'm wanting to answer his questions and so I'm like "Um, okay so I'm answering well actually we do have screens and Bibles and everything, so can I please have my, and so finally he gives me the tickets, and I'm like, we're well into like the beginning of the third quarter at this point, point." and so finally I'm thinking, okay, I've got to walk, and I can't drive because I don't have enough cash now, so I got to hobble back, and as soon as I go to turn to leave, he asks me, pastor, can I ask you one last question, I said, yes sir, he goes, how does a person know for sure that they can go to heaven when they die, I'm like, uh, uh, Yeah, what am I supposed to do here? You know, and I know the right answer. The right answer is you stay and answer the question, don't you? Because I'm thinking, okay, forget the third quarter, right? So I'm thinking, hey, listen. And so I took the time to talk to him all about his spiritual journey. And (coughs) excuse me. And then in the middle of the parking lot, I told him that God loves him and that all he has to do is put his faith and trust in him. We talked about Jesus dying on the cross, gave him the full gospel. And I said, if you want to, we could pray right here. He's like, really? Right here in the parking lot. But yeah, let's pray. This guy asked, you know, he turned his life over to God, asked God to come into his heart, led him to Christ. And now it's like fourth quarter. And I'm just like, okay, thank you. And I hobble back and I get there just in time to see the lions loose. So... (laughs) Which was, you know, just a great ending for all of us, right? And so, uh, and by the way, what a worst team to lose to. Browns, Lions, I got the worst luck in human history. So the bottom line is, is my family was upset. And all I kept thinking of is I had plans and God had different plans, right? Because who would have ever thought that I saw my day play, playing out that way? I never would have thought that was, you know, the way that my day was going to plan out. I was planning on a really nice day with my dad. And my brothers, but instead I saw them for just a few minutes, but God had different plans and it turned out to be a great God story. And as it turns out, I think that all of us can realize that interruptions are also and oftentimes an invitation to trust God. So, how do we embrace and expect uh, interruptions, and how do we accept them as invitations? I believe that there are many questions to ask yourself, but at least five that I've come up with. Here's the first question we need to ask ourselves. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? It could be nothing, but it could be that God is trying to invite you to His plans, which are different than your plans. So the next time an interruption comes, whether it's just a traffic jam or whether it's a COVID pandemic, just ask yourself the question, God, what are you doing? Show me what you're doing. Here's the next question. God, what do you want me to do? Because that's different. What do you want me to do and react in this moment? So let me tell you, um, when it comes to this question, Uh, Charles Swindoll wrote a book and he's a famous author and pastor. And And he wrote a book and he talked about how there was a flight delay one time that he was a part of. And he was sitting on a plane and so he said these poor flight attendants were jumping up and down the aisles because people were drinking. And You know, he was in first class and they were demanding drinks and snapping their fingers. And he was just thinking, wow, this is chaotic and there's this huge delay. And so he prayed and said, God, what do you want me to do? And he felt like his job would be to encourage the flight attendants. So every time that they walked by uh, he actually was, uh, you know, encouraging them, and he was just yelling out to them, "Hey, you're doing a good job, and 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 you know, good, good way to go, and way to be discouraged. Don't be discouraged." And he's talking to them, and he was in the seat five A, and he said, and he was thought he was doing a really great thing until he finally overheard one of the flight attendants talking to the others, and she said. Uh, look out for the guy in 5A, he smashed <laughs> because he was encouraging them and they just weren't used to that apparently. But, um, but again, there's oftentimes something that God wants you to do in those moments. Here's the third question. God, what do you want to do in me, right? Not just what you want me to do, but what do you want to do in me? So the next time you're in a traffic jam and you slam your hands down on the steering wheel, start right there. Ask God about your anger problem. I don't know. Ask God about the fact that maybe you procrastinate too much with not only getting to work on time, but also in your whole life and other areas. Who knows? Whatever it is, but just pray and consider that possibly through these events, interruptions, big or small, that God wants to speak to us and to teach us things big and small. The fourth question, who do you want me to meet? perhaps, you know, if if you're supposed to be on a plane to Chicago and you find yourself right next to a guy at Starbucks, maybe that's the guy you're supposed to meet. And you're you're supposed to strike up a conversation with that guy and say, God, is this the guy I'm supposed to meet? And by the way, don't use that as a dating service. That's more of a spiritual perspective, right? And then finally, the fifth question is this. Is that, God, how can you be glorified in this? Isn't it true that if we ask these five questions, God, what are you doing? What do you want me to do? What do you want to do in me? Who do you want me to meet? How can you be glorified in this? It's it's a game changer when it comes to our perspective, when things that come and change our plans that we didn't plan on uh, having to deal with. And so again, I believe that it's an invitation to trust him if we're just willing to receive it. Here's the second observation uh, about how interruptions relate to our daily lives and our faith. And that is walking by faith requires the art of pivoting. Walking by faith requires the art of pivoting because uh, it, all throughout the Bible, there are instances where, where you know, interruptions come and we see almost every great God story is somebody adjusting their schedule, adjusting their perspective, and adjusting their plans. And after all, the reason why I phrase that the art of pivoting is because it is an art. And mastering the art of pivoting is harder than you think. How many of you are already familiar with the famous pivot scene from Ross and Friends? Uh, in fact, when I when I actually told Shauna, our service director, that I was going to use the pivot scene from Friends, she said she emailed me back and said, thank you for choosing to play this for this series. It just had to be done because of the title. So uh, the art of pivoting is something that is required because we walk by faith. So uh, instead of just showing you a clip on friends, I'd love to read for you a passage of scripture that demonstrates the art of pivoting very well. And this particular passage is by Peter and John in the New Testament, right after Jesus had left the earth, he rose from the grave, left, commissioned the church, and Peter and John are starting to walk through what is going going to become the New Testament church. So Acts chapter number three, look at verse number one. It reads this way. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon, and I highlighted this next phrase, to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. Now, I find it very interesting that the scripture goes out of its way to talk about Peter and John's plans even though that they don't get to those plans. I I find it very interesting. That's why it's a great example. And there's hundreds of great examples, by the way. But this one actually lays out, here's what Peter and John's plans were that get interrupted that they never did, which I find very interesting. So then it goes on. Verse number two. As they approached the temple, a lame man from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called Beautiful Gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Now, you first need to know that this was very common, and we're about to find out that he's a very popular and well-known beggar at this particular gate, as we're about to read and find out, but actually, it's very common for, to walk by a beggar, and so Peter and John experience what is, at the beginning, a very small interruption. They're on their way to a three o'clock prayer service, and they get stopped and interrupted for some money, and again, it's a very small one, but we're about to find out it turns into a pretty big one. So verse number four says, Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us, which by the way, I believe that's included because can you imagine begging every day, uh, you know, just being, you know, lame from birth, not having the ability to walk. I imagine that your eyes would always be down, that you wouldn't want to look at people and that you would just get in the habit of asking for money and assistance without looking. But Peter says, look at me. And then they locked eyes, which I love, because it communicates, you know, uh, worth, and it communicates relationship, And, uh, and it's very much meaningful. And it says, the lame man looked at him, or looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. And then it says, he jumped up, stood on his feet and began to walk. Then walking, and here's surprising, here's a surprising term, walking and leaping and praising God, it says that he went into the temple with them. Now we know that Peter and John are back on course for their plans, but now their plans are gonna be interrupted because after all, your prayer service isn't gonna just be a normal prayer service if you have the famous you know, uh, injured guy who has, you know, been crippled from birth, who's leaping and screaming and praising God with you. And all of a sudden, things are about to change. Then the verse in the the passage goes on in verse number nine. It says, all the people uh, saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized that he was the lame beggar who they had seen so often at Beautiful Gate, they were absolutely astounded. And it says they all rushed out. They were drawing a crowd. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. So now, all of a sudden, there's a big crowd, and they're all running out. And who knows? There may have been religious leaders. Maybe it was just the Jewish community. It doesn't really specify. But all we know is everybody there ran out. And then Peter, it says in verse number 12, saw his opportunity. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. And by the way, his message is strong. I'll prepare you in advance. So to the crowd, he said, people of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, which indicates they were Jewish, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you, the crowd, handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. Now, you know what he's referring to? He's referring to the crowd crying, crucify Jesus, the same Jewish, you know, people, disciples and followers who were actually listening and following Jesus and then turned on him during his crucifixion. And he says, you were the ones who rejected him, even though Pilate wanted to release him. Then he goes on and said, you rejected this holy righteous one. And instead, demanded the release of a murderer. He's referring to Barabbas. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses to this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your eyes. And then he lets, lets the people off a little bit, but not too much. He kind of he goes softer, and then he goes for the big blow at the end. He says, friends, I realized that uh, you, what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. But God was fulfilling all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah that he must suffer these things. Then he says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. So think about the events that unfolded. Peter and John had plans to go to a prayer meeting and they find themselves and who would have ever thought, you know, they would probably said, I didn't expect my day to turn out like this. We find ourselves boldly telling a crowd of strangers to repent from their sins for killing the Christ and the author of life. And yet that's how the day played out. And what's interesting about this is even though we know that Peter and John were never given the ability to predict the future, and they were never given the, you know, uh, we were not indicated that they anticipated this change, when the change of plans came, it certainly doesn't record them being rattled, and it certainly does record how they seized opportunities as they saw them. And so, again, it supports everything that the scriptures talk about, how to expect and anticipate and embrace interruptions, using them as an invitation. And then, of course, we see right here that the art of pivoting has to be mastered by anyone who claims to walk by faith because, listen, what's so interesting is that every, just about every great godly Bible story involves pivoting from interruptions. Think about it. Like Moses was kind of doing his thing when his life was interrupted by this thing called a burning bush. And then his whole life changed, didn't it? Jonah was on his way to Tarshish, and then all of a sudden he got interrupted by a whale. Uh, Daniel got interrupted by getting thrown in the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got interrupted with a fiery furnace. Esther get interrupted by a king writing a law that she didn't expect and had to defend. I mean, there are so many things that happen. And when you look at all the great Bible stories, it's as if the people were going along, minding their own business, and something happens out of the blue that they didn't plan for that interrupted their plans, and then they pivoted the direction, their spirit, their attitude, their actions, and great things come from it. Now, fast forward to the New Testament, and you have the same thing. Wasn't Mary and Joseph's life interrupted by the surprise birth of a child that kind of changed things? You know, Peter's uh, career of fishing was interrupted when Jesus came along and asked him to change careers. Uh, Paul had a political career going, and he had an agenda all the way up to the top, and he was uniquely qualified, and those things got interrupted on the road to Damascus. I mean, you know, John on the, uh, on the Isle of Patmos I mean, his whole life got interrupted as he got stranded for years on the Isle of Patmos, writing the book of Revelation. Sometimes the interruptions are small, and sometimes they could last for a season, and sometimes they're life changing and can forever change the direction and the trajectory of our lives. But what's true back then is also true now that we are required to walk by faith, not by sight. The Bible says you and I, if we follow Christ, if we believe in Jesus, that we don't walk by faith, we walk by sight. And so whenever we choose to walk by faith and we're, we're you know, uh, faced with things that don't go our way, it's important to understand how to feel about trials and tribulations, but I think it's just as important to move forward with the right perspective. That 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 walking by faith requires the art of pivoting because that's just about what the Christian life can be summarized, you know, as, as, as let me say it differently. It, it's a phrase that summarizes the Christian life, doesn't it? Because we have to adjust and we have to react. And when we react in a positive way and when we are encouraging one another and when we ask God to change our hearts and we ask God to use it to do great things in us and through us, we start to discover that God is in the business of teaching us all sorts of things and doing all little and sometimes big things in our lives all because we say, okay, God, go ahead and use this in my life. How, to, how should I react to it in a positive and in a biblical way and helping me understand that it's a part of, of our journey. Now, there's a third observation, and that is this, is that there's power in the story of the pivot whenever God is involved. And you know what I mean by when I phrase it like the story of the pivot? It's really any story that says, I was going along fine, and then something happened, and then here's what God taught me or did through it. And that's the story of the pivot, and that could really encapsulate most of our good stories. And so, There is power in the story of the pivot whenever God is involved. I told you earlier that we did have a video story for you. This is an actual video story. Uh, It's by a girl in our Kensington community named Naomi, and she uh, is a frontline worker at a hospital, and this is how she uh, reacted and what God taught her through the new reality that she was faced with.
4: My name is Naomi Ishioka, and I have been a nurse for... uh, since 1998, so that makes 22 years. Yeah, 22 years as a nurse. So I was an emergency department nurse, but I also was, at the time, covering for a disaster preparedness coordinator, or emergency preparedness coordinator, I guess is the official term. The hospital realized that this was becoming an issue and that we would have to be prepared, and even just looking at what happened in New York, we knew that if patients started coming in, it might become a really big issue. So we opened our emergency operations center. And so that first day, which was uh, March 13th, I walked into the emergency preparedness center and my life changed. I got to be the first nurse that did the testing outside. I put all my PPE on, mask, gown, gloves, eye protection, and. Actually, right then, got to swab one of the first patients at my hospital that came back positive. Every single nurse was just had some anxiety, had some fear, didn't know exactly what they were supposed to do. You know, we knew that we had to protect ourselves, but we didn't even know what that meant. And when we got that first patient, everybody was like, okay, here it goes, this is it. So April 9th was about the day that we had... Pretty much the most patients in our hospital. We had gone from having just one unit and one ICU to having three units and two ICUs to having five units, that all the patients on those units were COVID positive, and almost every single ICU was full of COVID positive patients. Everybody was just working as hard as they could to keep these patients alive while keeping the staff safe, you know? And every single every single time you go into a room, it just, everything was heightened because you were wearing all this equipment, all this PPE and these people were on ventilators, and they would have multiple, multiple medications keeping them alive, and it was truly like a war zone. I'll never forget, I was walking up to one of the ICUs. I was actually delivering some um, donated PPE. It was actually a group of face shields, and when I walked into the ICU, it was really obvious that something had just happened. It was just quiet, and that's what happens after somebody dies. It's even more heightened during COVID because if you remember, families weren't allowed in. Nobody wants to die alone. And so the staff would all gather as well as try to save the person's life, you know, and work really, really hard. And as I walked into this room, there was this young nurse that I've known for a while. She used to work in the ER and then she moved up to one of the ICUs. And she was sitting against the wall, kind of crumpled up with her head down like this. And I walked past and I thought, is not anybody going to talk to her? You know, So I dropped the stuff off at the desk, and I came back, and I sat down next to her. And she looked at me, and she said, he was the same age as my dad. And she wasn't crying. She wasn't even, like, close to crying. She was just tired. And at that time, I realized, you know, none of us are going to be the same, you know. I will never forget this, but a lady called our Emergency Operations Center, um, a lady from a church nearby, not Kensington, another church. Our church wants to help your staff, and we really would like to have a prayer group and pray for you guys. How How can we do this? When I talked to her, you know, she prayed for me on the phone, and I realized that, you know, talking to people... Having that human connection, having somebody who actually cares, and then having somebody who cares about me as a person, but also has a relationship with God and can say, I understand, I care, let me pray for you. That is so powerful. And throughout this whole thing, from day one, honestly, I would have scripture come to me when I was most anxious, you know, you know, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. It's Isaiah 42, 16. I will lead the blind by a way that they know not. I will show them things that they have not known. I will bring the dark things light before them and the crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Over and over and over again that verse came to me. So there's a hymn that um, my grandma used to sing. and We used to sing when I was a kid. The hymn is called, He Giveth More Grace. And it goes, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He addeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance and our strength has failed ere the day is half done, When we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, the Father's giving has only begun. His love has no limits, his grace has no measures, his power no boundaries known unto men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Mercy is never ending, you know? When I come to the end of my resources, when I feel like I have nothing more to give, I can sit back and think, it doesn't have to come from me. You know, it comes from God.
6: Yeah, it's so amazing to me. My my wife, uh, for 11 years, worked at Beaumont. And she went through that season as a frontline worker. Worked, you know, was was involved in a COVID unit and a couple of different times. And uh, I could really appreciate that from that perspective. Uh, my favorite part of that was uh, just the idea that, like, sometimes we are faced with an interruption that doesn't necessarily have a great ending. It feels oftentimes like something came my way and it was just terrible all the way around. You know, like it was just a bad, you know. Series of events, and uh, oftentimes, in even in the painful moments, even in the trials or the depression or the anger, God still has a way of showing His face that He could actually use people to encourage you, to uplift you. his a way of teaching us things, even through the darkest times, and that's been true from the very beginning. Um, I wanna read a chorus of the song that we're about to sing because the song talks about how God is in control of every circumstance, how the victory is God's no matter what, that he is still on the throne. And I wanna say that I've always believed that God is not surprised by, that he is in control of, and that he can redeem all circumstances that we find ourselves in. So the chorus of this next song says, the victory is yours, you're riding the storm, your name is unfailing. Though kingdoms rise and fall, your throne withstands it all. Your name is unshaken. What hell meant to break me has failed. Nothing will silence my praise. I will cry out in worship. Oh, the walls of prison will shake. The chain-breaking king rises to save. And so if you don't know the song, I invite you to just listen and maybe sing along. If you know it, sing along. But The Victory is Yours reminds us at the end uh, of this talk that all interruptions are under God's control.
1: Our fight is with the weapons unseen. Your enemies crash to their knees as we rise up and work. cry
6: Victory is God, and I know it's a phrase I often use, but He uses things for His glory and for our benefit. And so every time we face an interruption, I hope that we could actually uh, think, okay, like in a positive way, how can I bless others around me? How can God bless me through these events that I didn't plan for, uh, that are gonna change my plans? And then uh, hopefully God can bring up some really great stories, you know, that we can look back and say, let me tell you about some really good things that have happened through these big and small things that come our way Um, I want to remind you to be here for midweek Uh, again there's tickets online uh, uh, kensonchurch.org slash midweek if not you could uh, sign in on on your way in but I hope that you're going to be here it's going to be a lot of fun Uh, Aaron and I will both be here and we hope that you join us thank you so much for being here if you have a prayer need there's somebody out in the lobby at the prayer table Uh, so God bless you and hopefully we'll see you on Wednesday